Welcome to Women of Courage, Living the Gospel with Power. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Women of Courage. Now, I'm working on a series. Obviously, I like series, right? (laughs) Only because there's so much to say. And I don't want to take up all your time, so I just break them up in different sections. Now, what I'm going to be sharing with you for the next several weeks, maybe four or five, I'm not sure. I haven't really thought it through. But I'm going to be talking about friendship. And this word friendship has been on my mind a lot lately because the Lord has had to redefine it for me. I was initially very closed off to it. I had in my mind what a friend was, and that was it. But the Lord has really taken me through some powerful steps and transformation on this word, and he has really taught me a lot about friendship. Because I seek to be his friend, I consider him as my best, dearest friend. So I had to reevaluate And I had to allow him to reshape my thinking about friendship. Now, there is different layers to friendship. The thing about it is, it's up to the two people that are interacting to really define what that friendship will be. Because if you go into it assuming some things, you may be very disappointed. What I have found is someone may call me friend but we're on two different levels. They may be expecting more than I have to give. And it has a lot to do with what we need within ourselves. That generally is why we have different expectations. One of my favorite stories in the Bible on friendship is between Jonathan and David. I'm going to spend some time laying the foundation. That's what this particular episode is about. And so next week we'll get into more of what shaped that friendship. If you haven't already picked up and if you know anything about me, I love the Old Testament. I would have loved to been a Old Testament history teacher. (laughs) That's such a thing. But I love the Old Testament. I have learned by my study of the Old Testament, that it lays the foundation for the New Testament. And if you study the Old Testament, let me back up. You will never truly, this is Hope's commentary, you will never truly appreciate the New Testament if you know nothing of the Old. Because even Jesus constantly talked about the Old Testament. When Jesus walked on this earth, there was no New Testament. (laughs) Just think about it. When Paul talked about the plan of salvation, he was only teaching from the Old Testament. So all of the New Testament writers, that's what they taught from. That's what they believed. That's what they lived. Now, I love the New Testament as well, but the Old Testament grips me like nothing else. It really does. It is so powerful. Okay, calm down, Hope. That's when I started thinking about the Old Testament to get a little riled up. But it's just so beautiful. Not much is really known about Jonathan. 
He comes and takes his place in history when he is asked by God to be David's friend. His father, at this time, is Israel's first king and has taken the throne. His name is Saul. Now the Bible testifies to his courage in war and his care for the people of Israel. Now therefore, it stands to reason why God would impress upon his parents to name him Jonathan, which means Jehovah is gracious, or Jehovah has given. And he truly lives up to his name. Now Jonathan is first mentioned in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and 14. His father has assigned a thousand troops, and this city is not too far distant from Jeba, where the Philistines have an outpost. Now the Philistines were constantly seeking to engage Israel in war. Here Jonathan fights bravely for God and Israel against the Philistines. All of this series is not about Jonathan's father, King Saul, to really appreciate the position that Jonathan took during the years his father was king can only be accomplished if we say something about him. Now Saul, as mentioned earlier, was Israel's first king. You can read how this all came about in 1 Samuel chapters 8 through 10. So I won't take up any time going on how he was made king. Now at the close of his second year as king, he starts making some unfortunate misguided decisions that eventually cost him his relationship with God and Israel. Now it is not fully known how long he was king, but there is a reference to the length of his reign that can be found in Acts 13, where the Apostle Paul is speaking at a church many, many, many years later and says this, and I quote, And afterward they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years. So we have concluded, many scholars have concluded, that Saul at least reigned 40 years. Okay? Now Saul's decision and behavior demonstrated his love for self more than God. Now he was known to take matters into his own hands. You know, you can read that in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel. He was also known for making rash and inappropriate decisions. You can find that in 1 Samuel 14. He was known for his disobedience to the express will of God. You can find that in 1 Samuel 15. He was known for being jealous to the point of hatred. You can find that in 1 Samuel 18. Now Saul's jealousy and hatred towards David, Israel's future king, consumed him for the remainder of most of his career. Now last but not least, King Saul fully turned his back on God and sought help from a witch and Satan. For those of you who have not had the privilege of reading this account, let me explain. Now the prophet Samuel had been dead for many years and Saul was about to go into battle once again with the Philistines. To put it simply, he was afraid and he wanted to know what he should do. Now you can read this in 1 Samuel 28. Now, I'm going to say this. I'm purposely only giving you the chapter and not giving you the specific verse because I want you to go back and read for yourself. 
Saul made mention that he had inquired of the Lord, but that the Lord had not answered him. Now, many would wonder why. Well, let me help you out. Saul went to God, hoping that he would help him win the battle against the Philistines. And from all accounts, Saul wasn't seeking God's heart or restoration. In other words, Saul was only seeking God's hand and not his heart. Saul's biggest problem was that he did not trust God with his life. Nor did he trust God to rule over his own kingdom and to know what was best for it. He only sought God to bless him when all else had failed. Now in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6 it reads, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Now please listen very closely to the remaining of this verse. It says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for morrow, for morrow shall take thought for the things itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. In other words, when we put God first, when we put the things of God first, when we put what matters to God first, he has promised we will not want for something to eat or for something to drink or what we should wear. And he also says, we are not to take thought of tomorrow. We are to plan for the future, but live for today. Because tomorrow is not promised. Now, rejecting the truth and taking matters into his own hand cost Saul his soul and the kingdom. Now, at this point in history, Samuel is the prophet of Israel. He is the priest and he is the prophet of Israel. People came to him for counsel. He led them in worship. In some ways, he ruled over Israel. Now, when Israel asked for a king, it meant that they wanted someone other than God to rule over them. A king generally ruled over a specific region or city. He usually received his crown through the system of heredity. Now, with this in mind, Jonathan was next in line to be king. From all that we know about Jonathan, he would have probably made a very good king. You know, he feared God, he was obedient, and he served him. And he also observed his father's leadership, and he learned what pleased God and what did not. Now, as he watches his father move further and further away from God and the truth about God, he realizes that his father is in trouble. However, he doesn't know what that means. But what he does know is that if his father doesn't turn back to following God, as he had in his earlier years, God will have to do something. He also knows that his father isn't an easy person to reason with. His father's pride has always gotten him into trouble. And he has never been a very patient man. Now looking back, Jonathan could easily see how those two traits of characters have often led his father to make bad decisions. So when his father decided to offer the sacrifice, he knew then that his father had crossed a line. 
Now, some backdrop. As I shared before, Israel and the Philistines were always at war. Well, there was one particular incident where Saul was giving specific instructions from Samuel, the prophet Samuel, to wait for him to make the sacrifice before they go to battle. Well, they waited and they waited and they waited. No Samuel. Saul decides to administer the sacrifice himself, which was expressly forbidden by God. As soon as he finished making the sacrifice, guess who shows up? Samuel. I'm telling you right now. The Lord delayed Samuel from going to Saul because this was a test of obedience. And Saul failed miserably. And then he started blaming everyone else for his decision, his actions. So now also keep in mind that Jonathan is witnessing all of this, all of this. So when his father decides to offer this sacrifice, once again, he knew that his father had crossed the line. He also knew that his father knew better. But once again, he would not listen. Blaming others for his bad decisions was also something that his father was known to do. Now, Jonathan never imagined that his father's rash decisions that day of offering the burnt offering and the peace offering will cost him the kingdom. But this is what Samuel tells Saul when he arrives on the scene. And he says, And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandments of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But... Now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Wow. Can you imagine Jonathan standing beside his father as the prophet Samuel makes this startling pronouncement? Saul, your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought and found someone else to rule over his people. Any hopes or aspiration Jonathan may have had was just dashed to the ground. And Jonathan knows enough about God to take him at his word. If he says that it will not continue, then it will not continue. And that's exactly what he meant. Wait, just hold on. King Saul isn't through making mistakes, and just in case he didn't fully understand what God meant, he is given another chance, and he blows that one too. And a few more pronouncements should make it really clear to Saul what God is intending. You can pick this story up in 1 Samuel 15. This is what the Lord says to Saul on another occasion. Wherefore, then did thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but did fly upon the spoil, and did evil in the sight of the Lord? And Samuel said, Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, 
To the Lord, obedience is better than sacrifice. And he goes on to say, Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord has rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and has given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. Once again, Jonathan stands beside his father, and he doesn't blink an eye. He listens very carefully to what Samuel has to say, because this information will affect him as well. It will determine the direction that his life will take. So let's sum up what God has said to Saul through the prophet Samuel. Number one, your kingdom shall not continue. Number two, the Lord has rejected you from being king. Number three, the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Number four, the Lord has rented, meaning to take away the kingdom of Israel from you this day, Saul. Number five, the Lord has given this kingdom, his kingdom of Israel, to a neighbor of yours that is better than you. Number six, the Lord will not change his mind about what he has said. Now, Jonathan's heart is now raising a mile a minute. And can you picture the look on Saul's face? The apostle Paul makes it clear the wages of sin is death. Praise God, he doesn't stop there, though. He goes on to say, and you can find this in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus our Lord. There is a reason two principles are placed in one verse. It tells a person about the reality of sin and that if sin isn't stopped, you will earn death. Not just death, but eternal death. Yet. The latter part of this verse offers us hope. Yes, you have sinned. Yes, you deserve death. You have worked very hard for it. But turning away and accepting God's free gift, not a cheap gift, but a free gift, this gift is grace through his son Jesus Christ, is ours to claim. And the promise found in John 3.15, which says, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life is ours to claim. Now these are truths, principles, and lessons that Saul simply refused to learn, adhere to, embrace, and claim as his own. I believe that the angel assigned to guard and encourage and instruct Saul was constantly trying to get him to surrender to the will of God. Not an easy task, but God wouldn't have left him alone to make it in his own strength. Yes, he had to make some pretty serious mistakes, and yes, it appears that he had repented. But once again, he failed to give God his heart. It's not enough to do the right thing, but the heart must be in sync with God as well. Unfortunately, Saul probably believed Satan when he whispered in his ear that it was too late and that he had gone too far. One of the hardest lessons we humans find to accept is that sin cost. We relish the thought that we are forgiven and shun the fact that there are consequences to having sinned. 
The consequences that Saul refused to accept was that his seed would not sit on the throne. It would end with him, demanding to have his own way with a sovereign God is a very dangerous place to put oneself. But God is sovereign, which means he has absolute authority. He has absolute power and has created all things. Therefore, he controls over and rules in the nature and in the affairs of men. He doesn't owe us anything, and he certainly does not have to explain himself. This is a very powerful story. Remember, this story is about Jonathan. So keep in mind that he is taking all of this in, and he sees what his father has failed to see and take hold of, Yes, God at this moment has made it perfectly clear that he has rejected his father from being king over Israel, but he has not rejected his father, the person. There's still time for redemption for Saul. So the story of redemption still includes Saul. God will not force it upon him, however. He offers it as a free gift. But... To reject, it means to choose to be lost eternally. The question now is, what will Jonathan do? Until next time. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Women of Courage, Living the Gospel with Power. You are the most courageous woman I know, and I thank you for allowing me to be a part of your life. Until next time, be blessed. Thank you.